Deep and meaningful conversations to connect, find calm, feel empowered and uncover clarity. Welcome to the Death Dying Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Welcome, Jan Sferdloff. I've been really looking forward to talking to you today. I'm sure people are going to love hearing what you talk about. Oh, you're an end-of-life doula, you're a celebrant, you're a bereavement outreach, well, I suppose counsellor or support person, whatever those words are, but we can talk about that. But first up, I'd love to hear about you and how you found yourself working in all those roles that you currently are. So what's your background and how did you find yourself doing all these things around death and dying? I was a teacher for 32 years. I taught drama mostly and dance and also English and I got to a stage in my career where I thought I need to find something to bring back some of my passion and also where I just didn't have to tick so many boxes and, and, Mm. you know, work so hard. Doing so much of teaching became about administration and assessment and and much less that human connection. Mm. And my dad died. And when my dad was dying, I stepped back from a head teacher position so that I could travel backwards and forwards from Sydney to Adelaide and spend time with him. And when he died, I thought, oh, the funerals that I have been to where there's been a celebrant have just been so inadequate. And so I spoke to my family and I said, I just want to do the funeral myself. I said, I, you know, mum died and the funeral I hated and my cousin had died and the celebrant was talking and I just wanted to get up and push her out of the way and say, what, what are you saying? You didn't know him and it's, this is not authentic. This is not Michael. Anyway, my sibling said, okay. And I worked with a local funeral director in Adelaide to officiate his funeral. And in so doing, I just got so much out of it, Julie. I really felt that it helped my grief my bereavement process. It helped my relationship with my dad. It kept it going because I felt like I was still doing something for him, even though he wasn't here anymore. Yep. And at the end of the funeral service, the funeral director said to me, would you like some work? <laughs> oh, wow. Shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I said, well, look, I don't, I don't live in Adelaide for a start, but it just sparked an idea. Mm. And I thought, yeah, wow. I could do this for other people. Mm. So, so I kept teaching and alongside with work, I did a certificate for in celebrancy. All right. Okay. And so I trained, I trained to be a marriage celebrant and then did the additional units in funeral and life celebrations. Yep. And, and I, I then took a year off from teaching and built a website and had one of my daughter's friends, she was at uni, and uh, one of her friends was doing a master's in graphic design, communication, visual communication. And I spoke to her and I said, oh, do you want to do some branding for me? And build a website. So I I just spent, I spent some months, you know, getting myself ready to launch a business. And, you know, because I was on long service leave, I didn't have to pressure myself too much to be earning money straight away. Mm. And yeah, I spent a year launching my business and I did some weddings and I, I ended up doing lots of funerals during that time. It all built from there. I ended up resigning from my teaching position and, and here I am. 
Wow. So, Jan, do you still do weddings or you do you just focus on funerals now? I still do weddings. I, I don't actively advertise as a wedding celebrant. So the weddings that come my way are either people doing a Google search and there's a word in my, I don't even know what it is. But, you know, <laughs> SEO or whatever you call comes, it, yeah. <laughs> there's a word comes up and they go, oh, oh. Yeah. For example, a couple of years ago, I decided with weddings, I'm just going to do the weddings that speak to me. Mm. I'm not interested in making a lot of money out of weddings or having that as my sole income. So I'll do weddings that come to me because I mean something to the celebrant, uh, to the couple or yeah. I, you know, they mean something to me. So, you know, I've married some ex-students and yeah. friends of my daughter. I even, you know, I've had people read something on my blog like, oh, you're a, you were a teacher. We're teachers. We'd love, we'd, we love that about you. Or I had a beautiful couple a couple of years ago whose first baby had been stillborn. And when they read that I had that experience, they wanted me so that they could honour their baby boy in their wedding ceremony. Wow. So, so I do I do weddings, but I try to I try to stick to weddings, as I said, that are meaningful. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And authentic. So most of my celebration work is in the funeral. Yep. Yep. And would you say that most of the funerals that you do do feel like a celebration, or are they ceremonial? Or what What do you think it's all about? What's special? I think it I think it depends on who's died. Yeah. So if you if you have a, a let's say a 95-year-old woman who has had a family and a loving relationship and there's a lot to celebrate and and she's lived a long life then it does become mm. a celebration and people say look we don't want it to be serious we don't want lots of tears we want to get in there and and enjoy and and celebrate, have have one last party for her. Yeah. But it's very different mm. if it's a person who has taken their own life. Yeah. Or if it's a baby or a child that's died. There's there's an element of celebration in terms of having had that person in your life, no matter how long or short a time. Yeah. But but there's certainly the ceremony and the rituals around become much more. So there's memory making, there's yeah. there's healing that takes place that that is still necessary for someone who's lived a long and happy life, but the balance is different. Yeah, I can say that for sure. Have you ever thought about how you'd like to spend the last few days and hours of your life? Or how you'd like to acknowledge loved ones or your own life and death? We can help you to create an experience that's as individual as you are. Let us help. DoulaConnections.com.au So when you first go in and talk to your clients, how do you establish what you think they might want or how do you guide them towards what options they have, you know, or what they could have? Because people often maybe haven't even been in a death experience before and don't even know what's available to them. So how, how do you work with people? I always spend a little bit of time establishing the rapport mm. between myself and whoever is, is organising and I get to know the person who's died. Mm. So, you know, some of my drama teaching... <laughs> <laughs> 
and and acting well not so much the acting because it's always authentic yeah it's not sure me sort of playing the role of a celebrant it's me the person there but some of that background work that you do into building the character and and finding out who the person is whose life we're there to honor yeah so i i will ask them to describe their person to me so, you know, if you, if you had to describe this person in half a dozen words, what words would you use? Mm. And, w- and when their options are limited and they have to um, find words that are true to that person, they sit and they think and, and then it starts coming and the person's values come through and the way that they lived their life comes through. And the things that were important to them... Um, and then you start to also hear what's important to them as a family because the funeral service is about the person that's died, but it's also about the people who are there. Yeah. So you're, you're getting to know them. Yeah. And then, and then saying, well, these are your options and giving them choices. So mm. you're facilitating their autonomy in deciding what they want. And I always go in with the idea that, there's no rules. Mm. Yeah. Like, like there's rules if you're the funeral director about, yeah. you know, the legalities. But if you're talking about the ceremony, there's obviously you can only have 10 people at a funeral during lockdown. <laughs> there's no actual rules about what's going to take place. Yeah. Okay. I love that. So tell me a little bit more about the bereavement outreach work that you do. Like who's that for? How did you get involved in that? And what's that about? Well, I work for SANS Australia, which is affiliated with Red Nose. And the bereavement outreach work I do is a part of a pilot program that they have running at the moment, providing support to families whose babies have died. So it's called an outreach program because we reach out to the the families. So we go into the home, we go and sit with them and we companion them, providing practical support, providing emotional support and where it's relevant spiritual support to help them cope with yeah. the reality of the the grief the shock the the change in them the mm. yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty difficult time yeah and the aim is to just try to make it a little bit gentler mm. uh, a little bit less shit can I say yeah well yeah for sure because it's the truth isn't it it yeah I mean it, I suppose no parent wants to find themselves in in that position and, and and not having experienced those sort of things before you I just can't even imagine how people get through their day let alone a, a funeral you know yeah yeah it's difficult so the program runs for a period of three months so yeah. across across three months or ten support sessions I'm able to help that family to just face all the things that they need to so Mm. in the very early stages it might be about helping them to plan the funeral it might even be before that and making memories and you know about having photographs taken and handprints and and 
about spending time with their baby and, and being able to care for their baby themselves. It can be about the funeral. It can then be about, you know, filling in the Centrelink forms. You know, I have sessions with grandparents. I have sessions where I'm talking to employers and colleagues to help support a parent on their return to work. I have sessions with childcare educators to help them to support a sibling who's, uh, you know, little yeah. baby brother or yeah. sister has died. Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of different mm. aspects to the job and it's very much client-driven. Yeah, that's so, beautiful. So, you know, they'll be sharing their fertility journey with me. Some of them get pregnant in that three months before they've moved away from the program. So... Yeah, yeah. Trying, wow. trying to trying to normalize what yeah because you can feel like you've gone mad or you can feel like you're never going to come out of it. Mm. Um, and all of the bereavement outreach workers across Australia have lived experience of child child loss, um, yeah, pregnancy loss. Yeah, for sure. So is Sands is that a national program or is there different versions in different states? SANS Australia is Australia-wide. Red Nose is everywhere in Australia except for in Adelaide, it's SIDS and kids. Right. So Red Nose used to be SIDS, which is right. Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. And Australia-wide, it became Red Nose, but Adelaide, I think Adelaide's the only state that kept it separate. Okay. All right. That just sounds like such an important yeah, like just to have that, like in 10 sessions, it, it sounds like a lot, but it wouldn't be because there'd be different things coming up all the time that need to be discussed and talked about and worked through. And um, and so do you, is there a, a way that that program's set up or is it just whatever the people need at that point? It's very much client driven. Yeah. So it is about, these are the sorts of supports that we can offer. Mm. What do you need? Love it. Yeah, that's beautiful. All right, so now you're also an end-of-life doula. So, so I mean, all these things that you do just all fit so beautifully together. That's such a beautiful puzzle piece that, you know, that's just come together uh, You're using all your beautiful skills that you've got. So how do you weave in your end-of-life doula or doularing to the outreach work and the celebrant? Like where do they cross over or are they very similar and it's hard sometimes to distinguish the difference? The doula role is, well, the quality of a doula serves all of those spaces. Mm. So the, the idea that you are a, a companion, someone to offer support, someone to hold the space for the, you know, in terms of Heather Plett's idea of holding space, for example, that goes across all of those those realms. I think that the idea that an end-of-life doula's role is very much client-driven, mm. you've got to be there and accommodating and facilitating what's needed at a particular time. The celebrancy, I suppose, that's over quite quickly because you'll, you'll be with a family, it's intense for a yep. week, yep. and then then mostly that's it, although I do have families come back, you know, with someone else has died or, mm. or someone come back and want me to marry, you know, 
I buried buried grandma and now I'm marrying granddaughter or or the other way around. Yeah, so I suppose it's the qualities are all there and and some of the time when I'm sitting in the bereavement outreach working space, I've got my doula hat on. Yeah. And when I'm in the funeral celebrancy space, I've got my doula hat on and sometimes as a doula I will be there before the person dies I will be there when the person dies I will be the celebrant and I will be there after providing that bereavement care so yeah it's yeah it's beautiful so if you if you knew that you had somebody you know close in your family you know your mum your dad your brother your sister your grandma whatever and you knew that they were coming close to the end whether it's weeks or months it doesn't really matter or days what would you suggest like what would you tell people to start talking to their family about and and what could you what could they be doing to try to lighten it a little bit and get through what's coming I think and I'm going to quote the beautiful Helen Callanan not exactly but I'll paraphrase you know part of her training which will resonate with you I'm sure Julie that the person that you're talking about let's say it's your mum that they're living until the very last moment. And so I would say, first off, help them to live the very best life until their last breath. So what do they love doing? What do they love listening to? If they're able to eat, what do they love eating? If if there's people they they love, you know, how can you provide and, and bring those people there, whether it's in person or via the iPad and a a FaceTime session or recorded voice. Um, So I suppose that focusing on their life rather than their death without denying their death. Mm. And and I suppose I would help, if I was the, the doula, I would help them to come to understand that dying is normal and it doesn't have to be frightening. So some education around what happens when a person dies. If you, if you know what to expect, it can take the, the, the trauma and the fear yeah. away. You know, just talking about something doesn't make it happen, but it can soften it when it does happen. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I also noticed, Jen, in your bio, you talked a fair bit about conversation you know, and how important conversation, which which is I also think holding space is probably a part of that as well. So I don't know, maybe just give me a little overview of what is holding space and, and how do you how do you start conversations that you know people don't want to talk about, but what happens when you don't? What happens when you do? So just some general conversation y tips and pieces of that might be able to help people. So I I find it quite easy to converse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, having been a teacher for so many years and working with students in a drama classroom, you can imagine that you've got to be able to hold your own. Mm. But I think knowing when not to say anything and not being afraid of silence is also good because you need to be able to allow people to think and to reflect and have time to, to say what they need. One of the things I've learned in life is that if there's something that's difficult to say, it often runs around in your head a bit before it actually comes out out of your mouth. 
and I've had that happen for weeks yeah. where I've had something I've wanted to say to someone but it's just gone around and around before I've been able to articulate it. So when you're holding space for a person and, and you're facilitating a conversation, then really tuning in and listening and the listening happens through your ears but it also happens through your eyes and through your brain and through your gut. So, you know, developing ways of observing people. And also I think being able to, to lighten the mood. You know, if I'm having a conversation around death or I'm helping to plan a funeral or even if I'm sitting with bereaved parents whose babies have died, maybe not the first time I meet them, but there will be smiles and there will be laughs. And, yep. and, and life, there's always hope in life. It's a matter of finding it. But I suppose, yes, being comfortable yourself and, and that coming across is also really important. If someone feels comfortable with you, they're much more likely to open up. And demonstrating absolutely no judgment mm. and, and acknowledging that, that I don't know everything. Yeah. That I can learn as much from the person I'm talking to as they can from me. Yeah. And helping them to be their own expert, um, their own best uh, decision maker, I suppose. Yeah. Now, it's, it's, it's a really important topic, I think, conversations. Do you live remotely or regionally? Do you feel isolated and confused about the way forward when thinking about what next? Maybe you've had a recent diagnosis or you're entering the final stage of your life. Today's technology means we can help you wherever you live. So reach out now to doulaconnections.com.au. When you think about Australians in general, how comfortable, and I know it's a hard question because we all come from different cultural backgrounds and we're all so different, but how comfortable do you think the average Aussie is with talking about death and dying? Um, it's an interesting question, Julie, and something that I was struck by when I first did the training as an end-of-life doula and I was already working as a funeral celebrant and I'd be out and it might be at a, a pub or a restaurant or at a concert or, you know, in the foyer of a theatre, coffee shop, library, whatever, and you get into a conversation with someone and they'd say, oh, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> and be like, oh, you really want to know? <laughs> uh, and I'd start to tell them and... Almost every person wanted to talk to you about, about it, whether it came from the perspective of, oh, my mum died last year or, oh, you know, my friends just had a prognosis, a diagnosis or, you know, it, even if it's, oh, what do you reckon happens? I've always been intrigued, you know, what happens when we die? Or telling you about their own religious beliefs. So I think that... People don't necessarily want to talk about it with each other in terms of, you know, let's sit down at the dining table and have a conversation with mum and dad about them dying or, or what they want at their funeral. That, that's difficult. Mm, yeah. But if you've got someone who works in the industry or the field, they're often, oh, could I talk to you about something? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's one of the beauties of having a doula in your life that you can have that conversation with that, you know, you could turn to your mum and say, can we talk about this? And your mum will say, oh, no, no, I'm not going to talk about that. Or 
more often the other way around where mum says, I'd really like to talk to you about what's going to happen. And the kids say, oh, you're going to live forever. Don't talk about that. That's mm. maudlin. That's, you know, you're just yep. going to depress me. We can forget about that for now. Yeah, gotcha. So I think within the family units there's a... So it's, al- it's almost like because you've got an intimate relationship with somebody, you know, because they're part of your family or the part of that really close, close-knit part of you and who you are, that that seems to be more troublesome there to have the conversations. But like you, I can go out and talk to, and then people that I'm not, I don't have an intimate relationship with, seem to want to talk about it. So is that that's your experience as well? Mm. It is, yeah, yep. But I do think that that can shift. I mean, mm. I I could even talk from my own perspective with my husband that. Over the last, over the years that I've been working in this in this way, his comfort with conversations around debt has grown mm. because of what I do. So, yeah, and also with my daughters, you know that that openness, and it's not something that we talk about all the time, but it's certainly something that we all feel comfortable with. Mm, that's beautiful, and it's not taboo. It's like in some families, as you say, it's like nope, nope. We don't want to talk about that, and uh, and then all of a sudden somebody's not here anymore, and there's no opportunity to have those conversations. So yeah, oh, I have loved talking to you today, Jan. Thank you so so much. I mean, if you had any particular little tips for people around, I don't know what anything that you just felt is the most important thing that you'd want to leave us thinking about or reflecting on, what would that be? Two things come to mind. One of them is memory making, that I think it's important to spend your life and your relationships making memories. And you want to have memories that you're going to cherish. So it's about enjoying your life, enjoying each other, and also not being afraid of of finding ways to memorialise, to celebrate, to have rituals, even if you're not religious. So I think, I think it's important to remember that ritual can really help the healing process around death and that transition. Mm, that's beautiful. I really love that. All right, so if people wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for us to contact you? probably via my current website, which is janswordloffcelebrant.com. And I have a new website being developed at the moment called acompassionatespace.com. It's just got a landing page at the moment. I'm working on the copy for that and so on. But, but that's where my business is heading. I started off with the Celebrant site, as I said, you know, with my young designer and she's still working with me and developing this latest site and I will actually be marrying her and her fiance early next year so (laughs) so we're doing a bit of a trade love it all right so when that new website's launched let's connect again and love to talk to you again about that and and what else you're doing you know moving forward so thank you for for today it's been great talking to you loved it thank you We hope you found this conversation and information interesting, helpful and empowering with the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Help us empower others by rating and reviewing us wherever you listen. 